Welcome to DHCD's Partners for Better Communities podcast. I'm Amanda Love with the Virginia Department of Housing and Community Development. This month is Building Safety Month, and week three is focused on water safety. Today, I look back on a great conversation with Chris Bridges, the building official and zoning administrator for the city of Martinsville. We took time last year to discuss pool safety, and these tips are smart to keep in mind to keep you and your family safe as we move into summertime. Summertime equals pool time. You know, whenever we talk about pool time, regardless whether it's a community pool or one in your backyard um, that you've put in yourself, uh, safety is always top of our mind with things. And and Chris, you, you've been in a really interesting position that, that you've kind of led and, and been part of the development of, of codes within Virginia to keep our Virginians safe when it comes to pool safety, right? What, what do we have in place here in, in Virginia? Well, it, uh, shortly after it, the International Swimming Pool and Spa Code was developed, we adopted that code by reference through our Uniform Statewide Building Code as the so, so since 2012, we've had a, an actual uh, swimming pool and spa hot tub type uh, set of regulations that, that really comprehensively covers all of those um, types of activities from the big community pool all the way down to the simple little pool that you might pick up at the big box store. Yeah, and you know, you said 2012. That doesn't seem like a very uh, old code at all when you think about how long we've had building codes in place, both nationally and Virginia, right? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, they, they trace back the first building code to, the, uh, to be part of the Code of Hammurabi. What is that, uh, like 700 B.C., something like that? Um, so building codes have been around for a while. We've had the Uniform Statewide Building Code in Virginia since 1972, uh, and 2012 to now is a really short time to have a, a, a code. It was, uh, we started developing that code in, in 2009, um, and it took a couple years to get out, go through the first code development cycle and, and get on the streets. Yeah. And, you know, I think you, you've been in a really interesting role because not only representing and, and being in Virginia and part of the code process, but you actually served on multiple national chairs when it comes to um, developing these pool safety codes that are nationally used as well, right? Right. The International Swimming Pool and Spa Code is a model code uh, that is out there for states and localities to adopt and amend as they see fit. Um, we started working, like I said, in 2009. Uh, I did chair that drafting committee. It went through about 18 months of development and then straight into the 2012 code development cycle, uh, which I also chaired that first, um, that first code development committee as well. And I know that you know, you've mentioned there there was legislation, there was advocacy, um, and the building community. So, I mean, it was really a multifaceted effort and, and pushed to create these guidelines for, for pool safety. 
Yeah, unfortunately, uh, you know, most of the rules that we have out there today that relate to safety are because somebody got hurt or somebody got killed. And the International Swimming Pool and Spa Code is no stranger. Um, the, the development of that followed uh, new federal le uh, legislation around the Virginia Graham-Baker Act. Uh, Virginia Graham was um, the granddaughter of James Baker, the former Secretary of State, that drowned in a backyard incident uh, in a hot tub, actually. Uh, it was a hair entrapment issue um, with a bunch of adults all around. And this was a young lady that uh, she was eight years old and a very accomplished swimmer, um, and it still happened to them lots of people around so when when those types of tragedies happen it gets a lot of people um, wanting to make change uh, the, com the consumer product safety commission was involved uh, the the pool industry itself was saying yeah we've got all these different standards out there and people are applying in them this way and that way and some states use this one and some states use that one uh, so it was really an opportunity for the International Code Council to step up, get all of the, the stakeholders in place, so the pool manufacturers, the pool installers, pool contractors, uh, pool equipment manufacturers, health officials, and code officials like myself all came together to draft this code and really draw all those uh, sources and, and resources together into one central location uh, to, to help advocate and, and be able to uh, enforce these pool regulations uh, for the safety of everyone. You know, it, that's just tragic to hear. Um, I'm a mom myself, so anytime you hear about that um, and and unfortunately, the statistics show that the majority of pool drowning deaths are actually children, mostly under the age of five. Yeah, we had 163 children last year to 2019 die in pools across the country. And over 70% of that was, uh, were children five and under. And even our five deaths in Virginia uh, were those were under the age of five. Um, so, you know, in the development of the International Swimming Pool and Spa Code, we did focus on that age group as being the prime age group to help provide the many of the layers of protection that are in the code itself. Let's talk about those, those types of protections. And I think that you said it best, and I'll, I'll caveat with this, is adult supervision correct me it's adult super, there's no better protection there's no substitution for proper adult supervision um okay. you know a, a pool is an attractive area for kids um in some instances you might even say an attractive nuisance uh they want to go there and they're going to do anything they can to get there um so these different layers of protection are there to help the unintended entry of kids into a pool. It's not to keep everybody out, um, and it's certainly not uh, something that we want to deter people from using. It's just also, it's also not a babysitter. Um, 
we can't just throw the kids out in the pool area and walk away and, and think that they're going to be okay. Um, proper adult supervision is don't have your iPhone in your hand texting um, while you're supposed to be watching the kids. Don't be reading a book. Uh, don't be concerned with getting a tan. You know, you need to be keeping, somebody needs to keep an eye on the kid. And that's the, you know, that's when there's a, there's a parent or an adult supervising things. But a lot of our code protections that we have are more barriers and um, more protections in place for those really unfortunate accidents, which I think do account for quite a bit where a child can, you know, get out the back door that maybe wasn't securely locked and get right into the pool or get through a fence or something like that, where it's that the parent wasn't, you know, that they were not supposed to be in the pool and that it wasn't intended that they were supposed to play. But man, they remembered playing in that pool the day before and having so much fun and they wanted to get there. So what kind of code requirements and, and protections are in place um, that, again, don't keep people from enjoying pools, but have safety protections in place to keep these young children who don't have um, the awareness to know danger. They associate pools with fun. They don't, they don't associate it with danger. Well, the primary protection is a barrier. And for pool barriers are basically four feet high. Um, and actually for an above ground pool, the exterior of the pool can be its own barrier because many of them are four feet tall. If they're not four feet tall, they do sell some kits that you can put extensions on top of it, or you can just put a fence around um, the, the pool area itself. Um, four feet is a magic number for the barrier. Uh, and it, there are some technical things about, uh, but basically all that is to help it m not make it um, climbable. Um, and, and I certainly know that there's quite a number of kids, some of them as little as two, that are little spider monkeys that will be able to, to climb anything. But most, most kids under the age of five are not going to be able to climb, both climb a four-foot high fence and get over it. Um, there's something a little magical about being four feet in the air. They all of a sudden don't want to do that and they don't want to go any further and they back back down. And, and so we've got that four foot barrier requirement, but what about two gates? And as I said, you know, people that their, you know, their back door is, is a barrier. What kind of process, uh, what kind of protections do we have in place for, for that to alert folks? I know a, a five-year-old could definitely probably figure out how to open a door. Right. When you use the, the, your, the back of the house is allowed to be a part of the, the, the barrier that goes around the pool. Um, and in those cases, uh, you, you can simply put on a, some kind of an, a, a, actually it's a pool alarm. Um, and it can have a deactivation switch, but the deactivation switch needs to be at, at 56 inches, just like the gate latch would need to be at 56 inches. Um, or there's another spec that if it's on, if you have to reach over the, the fence and manipulate the lock, it's uh, actually has to be at least four inches above the top of the four foot high barrier. So you're actually reaching over um, uh, the fence to get to the lock. And I'm sure many people have seen that. The, uh, the doors have to be self-closing so that you're not just 
propping, you know, going through a gate, leaving it open and, and forgetting to close it. Um, and uh, the, the alarm requirements would apply to any, any opening um, in that wall that is acting as the barrier, whether it's a, uh, a door, sliding glass door, French doors, any of those kind of things, or windows. And that, you know, that's definitely smart with, with little ones that they, again, can probably manipulate more a door than they can climb over a fence or, or those kinds of things. So it is good to know that those types of um, requirements and code protections are in place. You know, what about if somebody, so as I said before, COVID-19 has really uh, thrown a wrench in a lot of people's normal community pool plans. And so there has been a high increase, I believe, in in looking at installing your own pool um, or buying ones from the store. So what are the things, I know that we have these code requirements, but are there other requirements that people need to be thinking through as they look to possibly install or, or put a pool in in their backyard? Absolutely. It's, it's you know, the, the best way to do any project is to do most of the work ahead of time and do your research. Check with your HOA if that's uh, where you live. Check with your zoning people to make sure that you can put your pool where you want to put it. And of course, get your permits. Uh, make sure that the, if your contractor is putting it up, that they're properly licensed and, and get their permits on time. Uh, prior to the project, or if you're doing it yourself, then make sure you get the permits. And even if the, the permit itself uh, may not be required because it's a relatively small pool, uh, the barrier requirements, the fencing requirements, do require a permit. Uh, any pool other than a kiddie pool requires a barrier. And uh, that, that also extends onto hot tubs and spas. Most of those already come with a lockable cover, uh, and that will count as your barrier. Uh, but for those that don't, you know, don't just assume that, oh, this is a little um, pool, it's not all that big, uh, I don't have to do anything. The only pools that are exempt are the kiddie pools, uh, the, the little ones that are intended to be drained and refilled daily. Whether or not people do that or not may not be exactly what happens, but that's the intention of, of uh, an uncirculated uh, water that's you know good for pretty much one use. Yeah, I've seen a lot of those kiddie pools around with the moms and the the children hanging out and trying to get some kind of normalcy of of. Um, pools. I know before when we talked about um, Virginia Baker, we talked about entrapment. What are the kinds of requirements in place to help protect against that? I know as a young girl with long, long hair, that was always something that was scary to me was that, you know, the suction and, and those types of things. The pool industry, have they done their part to, to meet those requirements or is that part of the code too? Yes, it is. And actually, it's a federal mandate to have uh, drain covers that meet the new requirements for suction entrapment. Uh, there's, a, there's, there's a lot of uh, material that's actually stamped on the cover itself. The cover itself is significantly larger than it used to be. It's a big dome shape 
uh, with a lot of little holes in it instead of the flat little grate uh, with little, you know, pretty big square holes in it uh, that it used to be. Um, they actually have an expiration date that have to be changed out fairly frequently. And I was uh, uh, interested to see that one of the testing labs that were testing these covers actually uses a big clump of wig hair on the end of a broomstick stuck in the water uh, down around that uh, cover to make sure that it is not sucking hair in and entangling it. Well, that's good to know that that those protections are in place. And, you know, another another part of this, um, you know, we've talked about the barriers around the protections of our young, you know, five and under, um, even older children from being able to go, you know, get into a pool area unsupervised. We've talked about entrapment now and that, you know, unfortunately happened when there were several able adults that were just unable to save that young girl. But also electric shock drownings. Um, I've heard about those more. Um, what are there any protections or precautions that folks should should take around water or that are, are thought of with the code um, to protect against that? Well, it, it's it depends on the type of pool. If you're putting in an in-ground pool, uh, certainly a grounding inspection is part of uh, the, the pool apron inspection. Um, where everything is tied together. Uh, if it's an on-ground storable pool, just make sure that you're putting it in per the manufacturer's direction. Um, and many of those uh, require a grounding loop that go around, depending on what type of pool, if it's one that's got a, a metal frame with an inner liner in it, most of those are the really, the, the really big pools, the, you know, 16 feet long and, and uh, 27 feet wide type on-ground storable pools that's, that, that people tend to build a deck around. Um, you know, they actually require rather extensive uh, bonding of all of the metal parts um, and taking it out to good ground rods in the ground. Uh, and that would include that, you know, so it's not just the ones that you're putting the in-ground pools in, it's all of the pools. And even if you're just picking one up at a big box store, um, it, not just the grounding, but all of the pool itself, install it per the manufacturer's direction. Um, if it's got, many of them have little motors that circulate the water and put it through a little mini filter type situation to help keep it as clean. Um, as you can, and whatever those grounding requirements are, play, pay close attention to that. Um, make sure that, you're, that, that any of the uh, pieces of metal, be it on the ladder, be it on any kind of lighting, be it on any kind of framework around the, the, uh, the pool itself, make sure that those are, are properly uh, grounded and it's maintained that way. Um, one of the things, one, you know, I know copper is expensive, uh, but the biggest difference between copper wiring and aluminum wiring is that corroded copper still conducts electricity. So you can still have a ground even when it corrodes. Corroded aluminum does not conduct electricity. So if things are corroded where they're bonded, 
they're no longer gonna be able to give you the bond and the safety that you need. Uh, even though it's, a, you know, it's allowed to do that way, it just has to be properly maintained so that it continues to do its job. And then the other part about it is, you know, we do have electrical uh, shocks that are a result of lightning. So just like, you know, we've always heard, if it's, if it's thundering outside, you should not be in the pool because a bolt of lightning can strike from 10 miles away. That's always a good reminder. I know we were just at the pool this week, uh, this weekend, and a quick thunderstorm rolled up and we were required to stay out of the pool for an hour. So always uh, good to have those precautions. You know, I appreciate you so much being with us today, Chris. This has been such great information that I think is very pertinent, um, not just right now in the midst of summer, but especially at a time where people are looking more into um, personal pools and and looking at backyard pools as the regulations and, and requirements have been a bit more locked down under COVID-19. So I think this information is really great. Are there any changes coming up? I know we're in the midst of the 2018 code change cycle. Are there any changes coming up that will affect the pool safety requirements? Um, the biggest changes that have happened over the last couple of years deal mainly with the health department side of pool regulations since many of the health departments have to go out and do the follow-up inspections every year at big public pools and most of those changes were around the the bigger uh, setups and not necessarily the small residential uh, pools Um, and you know like I said before we, we had We've done a lot of work at the national level, so we don't have to do a whole lot of work changing things here in Virginia. Well, and that's a great thing. And I think we've got such a great stakeholder um, group that works together, whether you're in uh, the building community, whether you're advocate, whatever your role is, everybody's at the table making sure that Virginians are as safe as possible when it comes to their buildings um, and and now even pools, um, making sure that everybody's safe in that regard. So just kind of a recap, if you're interested in looking at a pool or you have a backyard pool, making sure you have the four-foot fence requirement, um, the proper gate point of entry requirements. You've got, if you're using the back of your house, make sure that your doors and windows are all alarmed. If you have an above-ground pool, check to be sure that the above ground pool is high enough that meets that four foot requirement, making sure you're following the proper installation requirements of the pools if you're buying them from the big box store. If you do have the kiddie pools, right, Chris, we want them to empty them every night as it's directed, Absolutely. Um, as those are not part of, of the requirements. Did I miss anything else that people really need to be mindful of? I think, you know, I think the top thing is to make sure if you're interested in doing this, who should they contact first if they're interested? Um, you know, I, I think it's a, a myriad of people. You can contact your homeowners association. Make sure that your building department is on that list uh, of people to contact. Ask your questions. Don't be afraid of them. They would much rather make changes with an eraser to your plans than with a sledgehammer. So, you know, they they uh, they would welcome any of your questions, and we'll work with you to get you where you want to be. 
That's great. And also zoning, zoning requirements, correct? There right. might be some zoning requirements. There'll be some zoning requirements just to make sure that uh, uh, it's put on the right place in your, on your property. Perfect. Well, it sounds like this is a great place. If people want more information about um, the the codes, they are located on the DHCD website at dhcd.virginia.gov, or you can call your local building officials to ask them um, any questions that you might have in regards to installing a pool in your backyard again to make sure that uh, you're making changes with an eraser on a plan versus a sledgehammer in your backyard that's a great way of putting it Chris so thank you so much for being here today Um, it's been really enlightening for me especially as a mom to hear these types of precautions in place and again I think um, keeping our kids safe is definitely a priority and Um, as you said, there's no better, I can't remember. What is it? There's no better. There's no replacement for proper adult supervision. There's no replacement for proper adult supervision. Well, thank you for being with us today. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in today. Again, if you want more information on the state uh, codes and relation to pool and hot tub safety, you can visit dhcd.virginia.gov. Thank you so much, Chris. You're quite welcome. All right. Tune in next time. Thank you. Thank you.